We are the tribe from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating our rivals never gets old. Making our way to the Big Sky Conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. Welcome, Tribe from the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Marceau, joined as always by the regular crew. First off, Dallas Hammer holding it down in Spokane. Dallas, how's it going? It is going. Uh, My West Ham United that I've been a fan of for about 12 whole months now is on is having the, their best season in like 40 years. So I finally picked a team that's like good to root for. Uh, I know I have the Super Bowl champion Rams, but most of you associate like the things I talk about with sadness and depression. And I have one thing in my life that's not sadness and depression right now. So I'm doing well. Well, you have two things in your life that are not sadness and depression because we're joined by producer Martin Heemstra in the 83843, striking a sexy pose for viewers right now. Martin, (laughs) this is, uh, you haven't yet had the R-rated intro, which, congrats, man. You made it one second last week, so you broke the record. How's it going? I'm doing good. It's good in Moscow. You said I'm holding it down. I'm just trying to make it through this really random weather we're having right now. Well, I, I wish you luck. Viewers can see this. Martin is trying to get through the random weather by it looks like he is hiding out in a dark hole, a.k.a. his apartment. But it, it's just looking dark on the camera. Not important, but he's wearing a black shirt, so it's camouflaging everything but his head. But Martin, gl- glad to have you here. Glad to have Dallas here as well. Look, you guys, this is not a secret at this point. We're talking spring football. There isn't much else to talk. Well, hey, I'll give you your quick vegetables update. There is no update. No news whatsoever. So we're going to jump right into Around the Bar, brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. And we're going to take a controversial first step. Dallas, I'm just going to open the floor to you. You, I want you to take it whatever direction you have. We've got spring news. We've got scheduling news. We've got positional shit we can talk about. Whatever direction you want to go, Dallas, I am officially giving the wheel to you. And Rack of Tits 69 the comment section may not know this, but he just endorsed that take. So, Dallas, take it away. What, what do you want to talk about? First thing I want to talk about, I have a question for you, Brian. What's going on with the quarterback room? That's that's what I want to know. Uh, we we speculated a bit on it last week and had some sort of you know breaking news of uh, maybe guys moving around. What what do we know now? A week later. Well, we we have some pretty clear news. We talked about it last week, but we have a little more confirmation at this point. Uh, quarterback room shrunk for sure by one member. Nate Cisco has entered the transfer portal. He is now a former Vandal football player. We, of course, appreciate Nate Cisco's time on the team, but he is no longer in the discussion for a quarterback for <clears throat> Idaho football. So, hey, we shrunk by one. Uh, we, we talked about hearing that maybe Tyler Webb is a guy to look for to move over to the defensive side, and that is not what happened last week. In fact, he's moved up to he, – he was taking some snaps with the threes – last weekend so that's a representative move up for tyler webb so our info on cisco 100 on info on web i uh, will wait and see but right now it's uh, not trending towards shifting sides of the ball it's trending towards he's staying and moving up playing the threes most recently and the other one we talked about and this is something that vandals forever meaning recent vandals have wanted it you know zach borish has been just a, a pretty wild story in his time in moscow and he is now for for sure, based off what he's doing in practice, in the role that a lot of guys are hoping to see him. He, we reported, we talked about last week, he was practicing the wide receiver room, specifically at the slot. He's now practicing with running backs, he's doing kick returns, and he's doing run heavy quarterback packages as well. So uh, we know what, what's going on with Borish, which is great. This is the role we all want him to be in. But as far as the quarterback room itself, those are the three major developments, you might say, or the two major developments. Tyler Webb isn't really much of a change. But as far as taking snaps at number one right now, C.J. Jordan's the guy who's getting reps, the most reps at the at the one spot, Dallas. So that kind of brings me into the next question. We're hearing 
that the offense isn't looking great. Uh, a lot of times, if you look through the the Battle Axe Award, uh, you know the there's always an offensive MVP of every practice, always a defensive MVP, MVP, and always a special teams MVP. A lot of times, it seems like the Battle Axe is going to somebody on the defense. Uh, CJ Jordan ended up getting it on the Thursday slash Friday uh, practice. They had to cancel their Thursday practice because of, because of the weather. Moved it to Friday. Anyways, uh, a lot of times we see like Martin showing it here on the screen. Uh, the Battle Axe Award was from a walk-on from Spokane. Sam Brown uh, won the Battle Axe Award uh, on Saturday. Mujib Rufai ended up with it. What what can we take away from this? The the defense, everything we're hearing is the defense looks great. The offense isn't quite gelling yet or w- whatever term you want to use. What can we take away from that, Brian? You know, that, that's an interesting thing to bring up, man, because – Look, if we, I'm going to take a trip down memory lane that most of us want to never revisit, which is the last handful of Paul Petrino's years in Moscow, where the the dynamic of the team from 2018 through, let's say, 2020, 2021, was offense was certainly underwhelming for those three seasons. Our defense rotated somewhere between catastrophically terrible in 2018 to we kind of settled on being solid against the run, but terrible against the pass we were amongst we if we were not the worst pass defense in the league each of the last three or four seasons we were the second worst pass defense in the league most recently 2021 our secondary again worst pass defense in the big sky so the takeaway that i i have for that is you kind of got to break it into two parts we lost a lot of talent in the front seven linebackers and d-line and we just were terrible in the secondary so heading into spring ball Really, what the hell our defense was going to look like was a big question mark. Of course, Orich is going to have uh, different strategies that are looking to be effective so far going against our offense. And what it means to me is, man, I I honestly think Jason Eck took a bit of a gamble, which this might surprise people. But we just talked about Nate Sisko leaving the team. He's like the fifth or sixth total transfer since Eck has, has become our head coach. And if I told you, Dallas, when Jason Eck took over, we're going to have the only turnover really on the defensive side of the ball is we're going to lose some really good players to graduation. Jonah Kim graduated, Trey Walker graduated, Chuck Okando graduated. Uh, Noah Ellis is going, looks like he's going to be an NFL player. He left early for him in terms of eligibility. If I told you that, but then said, Hey, we're not going to have a gigantic amount of turnover other than really good players graduating or, or playing pro. What would your expectation be? Honestly, my expectation would be that the defense was what was going to struggle and the offense was what was going to be solid at worst, that we would see the defense would be struggling in the spring trying to figure out how to replace much of these these major contributors. That's what I would have expected. Obviously, I was heinously wrong. That's why I'm a podcast talker instead of a football coach. Uh, well, just think, you weren't heinously wrong. That's what you should have expected. And I think it was honestly a bit of a gamble to on X part to say to really buy in on maintaining roster continuity as he came in. Now we're going to get transfers. Of course, duh. We, we talked about Paul Moala coming from Notre Dame. He could be an impact dude for sure. That our defense is certainly not going to be worse for him leaving Notre Dame and coming over here. But sort of back to the point, that's actually a gamble. So look at a under, let's just call it underachieving defense based off how they're looking now. And saying, you know, we need, we want these guys back. So we think we have the right guys. Well, based off practice early returns, look, X gamble was if we have better strategies, these guys are going to look a lot better. And so far, that's what we're hearing. Look, even in X most recent, you know, two, you know, two question interview that Vandal Football posts on Twitter, he referenced again defense looking great, defense forcing turnovers, defense in in practice having the offense in plus territory and keeping them out of the end zone. That. That's all a shock to me. Well, to me, it's a shock that they're looking as good as they are. And look, Martin, you've been to practice. We've got other guys who go to practice. Martin, I'm going to pull you in for one second so you can get your like quick two-word answer real quick. When you saw the defense in person, how'd they look? They are flying around, and it is great to see compared to previous practices that I've been to in the past. It is good to see a it is just good to see a defense that is animated and a coach that is pumping them up in all the right ways compared to previous coaching staffs. And Hey, when you say pump, pump them up in all the right ways, Martin, I'm going to repeat what other people have told me. I want to, I want to hear if you're saying this is correct. 
I've been told one of the things that's different about Eck and his staff, so it's not just Eck, it's his staff too, is that obviously they're they're wanting the offense to look good. But if the offense, when the offense has not been scoring, they're not just yelling at the offense for not doing well. They are pumping the defense up because a lot of this is the defense is forcing turnovers and forcing stops. Meaning, look, we again, the offense needs to execute. But hell, the defense is executing pretty damn well right now. And you reference flying around. I think that I'm going to take that to mean they're looking a lot more aggressive. It's, it's looking like a team that is playing to make plays. Oh, yeah, that I, that would agree with that statement. Okay, so thank you, Martin. The the uh, thing I want to rotate back to now, Dallas, is your question is, hey, what should we take away from this? Well, right now I'd say it sounds like our defense is developmentally further ahead than maybe even Ekinco thought they'd be. Arch was on our show, and you know, Arch talked he talked a little bit about strategy, wanting to build from the back up. Uh, and you know we've got guys like Taylor Cash come, who's you know, Taylor Cash, special correspondent, Tubbs of the club, watched one of Orish's um, like workshops that he gave online, and where he talked about disguising coverages, and he said this is absolutely what our defense looks like it's doing this year in a way that it did not look like it was doing last year. You know, my takeaway is I I'm like you, Dallas. I thought our I did not think if you were going to bet an offensive head coach like Jason Eck, a guy whose background is being very good as an offensive coordinator, offensive line coach at South Dakota State. I bet you, you tell the average Vandal fan, hey, that's our that's who our next head coach is. Guess which side of the ball is going to make the biggest developmental jump the quickest? No one's going to say defense. So to me, I'm pretty stoked about where the defense is at. Uh, with Now with, of course, the asterisk, because i got to take us back down to terrible memory lane, Dallas, or, you know, I'll throw back to you for a second because you've been filibustered. We talked last season a lot about secondary being terrible, but you remember the other factor that held the last few Vandal team back, correct? Uh, do you mean the lack of turnovers? Uh, well, sorry, defensively, yes. Def- our secondary picked off two passes in league play, gave up 20 touchdowns last year. But um, there was another issue that repeated itself for about four years where a lot of Vandal fans thought when let's – um let's say the daddy ball era was dead. We thought there'd be a change, but you know what I'm talking about now, right? Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, the the offensive ineptitude of this team, which I think is what you're getting at, especially from the relatively poor quarterback play that oh, has been... Yeah, over the previous years. four years, of course. Yes, uh, is is honestly probably something we, we should have thought about more when... I know I went into this thinking all right, offense is going to figure itself out. Offensive-minded head coach. South Dakota State's offense was so much fun. They they bullied people, which I know that we throw the bully term around as a joke sometimes now, but that's what we, we want. We want Idaho to be bullies again. Great. This is going to be a, a quick, easy fix. Wasn't the case, and maybe we should have looked at that historically. Of Honestly, Idaho's offense has been pretty terrible since moving back to the big sky. Honestly, even the year, uh, the final year in the Sun Belt, Idaho's offense has just been pretty awful. I have a bunch of random stats to read off, Brian, uh, but uh, great. So I apologize to anybody that gets really bored by this. Uh, 2016, Idaho wins a bowl game. They average over 30 points a game. In the big sky, that would have been good for seventh that year. If they just stare and compare, they would have been seventh out of if they were a 12th team in the big sky that year. Uh, so not, not an incredible offense from big sky standards, but keep that number in mind. Idaho scored over 30 points a game in the bull year. 2017 rolls around Matt Linehan's hurt. They score under 21 points a game the entire season. That would have been last in the big sky in 2017. We go to 2018. Idaho scores under 25 points a game. This is the start of the daddy ball era. Under 25 points a game, which was eighth in the conference out of 11 teams. 2019, we are at 26.09 points a game, just over 26 points. We're right in the middle. And then when you cut it down to conference stats, Idaho finishes right in the middle of the pack. They're ninth of 13 teams in 2019. Move on to the spring season. Idaho scores 23.33 points a game. Eighth out of 10 teams. Not great. We moved to last year, and last year was 25.36 points a game, good for 8th out of 13. The offense has just been mediocre for years. 
So it might have been a little bit of a stretch to assume X is going to come in and take the same roster that they had and absolutely turn it around because we'd seen the offense had been so poor for so long. The defense has obviously been poor for so long, but I think we've all we've all harped on Bresky enough. We all saw the the coverage of of death of giving guys eight to ten yard cushions on third and five. That was a problem. That was a, a very easy strategic schematic fix. I don't think the offense quite has that ability to immediately overreact. We're we're realistically we're at a spot like we all think CJ Jordan is going to be a great quarterback. We think uh, very highly of Rich Duchacall. Uh, like there, there are guys on this team that are highly recruited and and should be good players. Uh, they may or may not end up, you know, contributing here or contributing elsewhere. We are not sure. However, realistically, we're looking at we have no answer at the quarterback position right now. As much as we think CJ might be the guy, CJ has played a hundred snaps in two seasons here, just not a whole lot of time. Uh, obviously, the running back room is great. Offensive line very raw. The receiving core is, is has a couple studs, but then it's just it's a bunch of guys that have never really seen the field. And it, in hindsight, it's tough to look at this and say, "This is like this. This should have not been a surprise." It feels like a surprise because I think we were all so excited about Eck. It's a little surprising to me that the offense hasn't really found found it in what two and a half weeks of spring ball so far. It's weird to me. However, when you kind of look back at historically since 2016, Idaho's offense has been worse than their defense. It's it's not shocking, but it it is shocking. Well, and there's a couple of factors that we, to me, you can't disaggregate yet. Or you can't separate yet, which is we, you know, in the spring season and the you know most recent fall season. So, you know, 2021 twice, Idaho was playing, played four or five quarterbacks through both each of those seasons. It was four or five guys getting snaps. Now bring that up. Because now some of that was schematic, like, you know, CJ Jordan got hurt on a designed run against UC Davis. It looked like what Petrino wanted to do was do kind of like the boorish offense with CJ Jordan, which was clearly not the right call. Honestly, the boorish offense is a boorish, unique thing. He's a real tough dude. He's able to take hits that a lot of guys can't. So I, I don't know why anyone would even try that with a guy who's not Zach Borish. But because we've had so many injuries over the last two years, we don't have a single guy who clearly is going to be the starting quarterback yet. You know, it, right now the easy favor to say is CJ Jordan based off the roster, but we also know, look, they're still offering grad transfers. Grad transfers get recruited to play immediately, almost universally. So that means, look, if we get another guy, they're going to be in competition with CJ. You can probably presume from day one, that's the one and two that they're battling that are battling it out for, for the starting spot. But I bring that up. Because not only do the quarterbacks not have a ton of play then, the offensive line doesn't have continuity with who they're blocking for. And right now in spring ball, because part of the point of spring ball was so that the coaches could see guys actually play because we have a gigantic quarterback room. It's not going to stay as big as it was. Hell, we've already talked about two ways where it's changed. The offensive line doesn't have the exact like rhythm or reliability, let's say, of exactly what they're blocking for, or quarterbacks who are who yet have are feeling kind of effortlessly confident while they're playing. So one really once I think the offensive line is more set on exactly what kind of guy they're protecting, that itself is going to help the offense a ton. But but secondarily, and this is good news for second Dallas. Our offense sucked for the last few years. Yeah, we're doing a new offense. It was it was going to take more than two weeks to get the new offense done. So, of course, there's a little bit more of a learning curve, you'd say. And look, Captain58, he's in the comments section. Here's a good one. Defense is by its nature reactionary. Now, of course, with the asterisk that, yeah, there are aggressive strategies that are not 100% reactionary, but offense has to be more deliberate and will take longer to adapt to a new scheme. Yeah, I think, I think that take is fair. <clears throat> so... The, you know, the offense has a different type of timing that they're having to, to deal with. They have a rotating cast of quarterback. Look, Orch seems to know who his starters are on defensive line at linebacker. So he's not having to rotate the huge volume of dudes in those key positions. So the offense struggling now that we talk this out, well, it seems that that is kind of where they should be. And what we 
what Idaho needs to do, one of the things, and we look, we've tried to not be brain dead on the show, and we try to tell our quarterback, our listeners to not be brain dead. Quarterback's not the only thing that matters. The defense looking good really matters. That is, a, if you're looking for a spring takeaway right now, good God, hold on to that one. Don't let it go. That's that's big news. But for the offense to maybe take its next step, I think it's got to be they're going to need to get settled on the type of guy who's taking snaps. Now, we also know that, hey, uh, if the offense is struggling, hell, Eck did this on Saturday. Borish is there for a run-heavy package. So if they're struggling, that's an option too. And I bet the continuity blocking for that is a little bit easier because the returners, have they've done, they have they know what they're doing. Oh, well, they should know what they're doing because I don't believe X doing the dumb Petrino version of we'll have 500 ways to run it right up the middle only. But the basic package, look, they know what they're doing. That's that's run protection with an extra blocker. So the broad takeaway is kind of what you, you referenced, man. Everyone should be ecstatic about the progression of the defense. We need to not overreact about the offense. Some of the struggles, when, once you talk it out, it feels like that that's probably the landing place where we should be. So my takeaway is no championships aren't one spring. Hell, Ekis said this too. But we're seeing enough on in this team so far to me to have, if you're looking for a reality check on, hey, should I still be stoked about excitement? Yes. Yeah, no, defense is making big steps. Just give him time with the offense. Couldn't agree more. The other point I want to bring up about the, just kind of the, the dichotomy between the offense and the defense, the defense Eck has mentioned it in the, the last handful of his two question videos. Uh, he mentioned an inside linebacker for Vifavai and Sully Shannon. have seen a bunch of time there. They're kind of the leaders of that core, but Hogan Hatton is playing really well and he's trying to play like eight to 10 guys on the defensive line. They've got Leo Tomba back. Shout out to Dale Grummert from the Lewiston Tribune, putting up an article last week about that. There are a bunch of guys that came back and they're, they're, there's so much depth in the defense that we probably should have thought about that a little bit more. But then on the other hand, with the offense, we've talked about the quarterback situation. Not, not any of these guys have a ton of snaps. This is all brand new, entirely new offense to learn. And also just not a lot of experience there. Running back's a little bit different, but wide receiver, I mean, outside of the few guys that played most of the snaps last year, there's not a lot of tape on those guys either. So I think the weird thing about the offense is they're just trying to figure out who who can do what and who who should play at what position. You look at the the uh, Tuesday, our show that one the one that the awards that dropped during our show last week. The offensive MVP was Alex Moore, who was a tight end this year, who was in the receivers room last year, brand new to the tight end position at Idaho, and ended up being the offensive MVP that day. Then you look at Borish. Borish now still listed as a quarterback, but playing in other positions like we had been hoping he was going to do most of last season when we were mind-numbingly irritated by Paul Petrino just running him up the middle 500 times. But there's there's this weird growing pain of it feels like they're still trying to figure out exactly where guys belong. We kind of talked about it with Steph in last show of there's two guys realistically that are are locked in on the line You'd think Bo St. John's got a spot uh, to make it three. Uh, Nate, as a party, if he's healthy, is probably a fourth. But they have they have to figure out the fifth guy and then figure out where to play them all. So it's there's so much there's so much they're trying to develop. I think right now in the spring season that it's kind of expected the offense isn't going to be phenomenal because they're trying to to figure this out. As Captain throws into the chat, tons of skill players to rotate through: receivers, running backs, tight ends, lots of moving parts. We saw a lot of rotation in the running back room under the Petrino days. Not a ton from the receiving core. You'd only see the same four, maybe five guys. You you wouldn't get too deep into that room. So that's the other problem. There's just not a lot of guys that have had opportunity. So I think I think that's probably part of this spring hiccup with the offense is just trying to figure out who who here is is going to be able to make plays when it actually matters. Well, and another part which I'll say this is my last take for this, this part of the discussion. X said it in his opening press conference. He doesn't have a set system they're going to run. He's going to build a system around the talent. Well, he's, this is now when he gets to see the talent. So he, ha- he has to give, he has to give his offense a chance to show what they can and cannot do right now. So look, you mix the fact that look, I, I'm going to say people need to not let go of the offensive line part, not as a complaint, but as far as it's hard to judge the offensive line until they know what the hell they're blocking for in terms of 
is the guy going to look, is the guy going to take too many sacks? Is the guy going to run, going to bail and run too quickly? Is the guy going to be able to see his reads quick and get, get the ball out? They're rotating through a ton of guys. And oh, we're getting, we know that they're at least going through around five quarterbacks when you factor in Boris right now. And look, Ridge Duchacall is not even on campus yet. So that's still another guy. And if there's a grad transfer, that's still another guy. So until there's continuity there, I just don't And they recruited really Jack Lane. So there's yet another quarterback that is yeah, that although, they've hey, signed that isn't. Breaking news that's not actual breaking news. We've just been told don't be floored if Jack Lane is on the defensive side of the ball. But you are correct. He's listed still as technically until, listed as a quarterback. That's why I, I Until he's up. not a quarterback, he's a quarterback. Okay. So you're right. So look, until the defensive line has something they know they can, you know, kind of be oriented around in terms of, you know, who they're blocking for. I just think people need to give them time. And look, I think if X doing what we want him to do, which is build this, build the system around the talent, put guys in the positions that for them to succeed, he has to give people a chance. They can and cannot succeed in those positions. And look, Hey, look at Zach Borish right now. Zach Borish has clearly shown the best use of him is all over the place, including the quarterback room too, for the run heavy package. But Zach Borish is being put in a position to get the ball running, ca- catching passes, kicking, and at you know quarterback who you could expect most of the quarterback plays going to be, going to be a run. But the dude can throw the ball good enough. So that's exhibit A. I'd say, hey, that took a little bit of time for Eck to figure out what he was going to do. You can presume that's not the only thing it's going to take time, but you got to keep in mind for him to truly build a system around the talent, he has to give people a chance to both succeed and fail at what he's trying to do. So I'm good with that kind of breakdown of where we are practice-wise. Dallas. I uh, was just going to roll this in. I was just going to follow this up with the question. Uh, I thought it was going to be seamless, but here we are making it, you know, awkward. Well, I fucked it up. So just ask, Uh, just ask your question. So we've talked about all of the things that we have yet to see The, the offense hasn't gelled yet. We have 11 days until the spring game. What's the one thing you are most hoping to see out of the spring game? No, I don't think you're going to be there. I know I'm not going to be there. So pretend that we can see it. What are you hoping to see out of the spring game? One, I, I want the defense to continue to look aggressive. I mean, you said, give me one thing and give you two. Give you an offense thing and a defensive thing. Uh, one, I, I really want to see the defense continue to look aggressive, continue to look like they're a team that is uh, – they're playing to win, not playing to contain or playing to get by, which I think that's a fair way to describe that cushion defensively that we we talked about in secondary. They were playing to not get burned. I want to, I want a defense that looks confident enough that they, they think that the defensive side of the ball can win games for us, not avoid losing games for us. That's what we've had described for us. That's what I want to see continue in the spring game From, on the offensive side of the ball. Look, I've already got my win of Borish is all over the place. We've referenced him a thousand times, but it's been so goddamn brain dead that this that the maybe best athlete on the team should probably be used all over the place where he can be a true difference maker. That's already happening. So I guess the other thing as a team I want to see what if see look we Luke Schleisner has already said quarterbacks probably going to play itself out into the into the summer fall. Which, not shocking, again, it's 15 total spring practices. It's a new coaching staff. How the hell are they supposed to make that decision when not even everyone's on campus? But what I, I'm hoping that we get – I want to see some of the glimpses that CJ showed us against Southern Utah. I would like to see a little bit of that repeat itself in the spring game. And look, if our defense looks great, then look, this is just the nature of playing yourself. If the defense looks great, the offense can't also look great at the same time. But if we get enough of those moments to remind us, hey, this is why we're stoked about CJ, I'm going to officially say, everyone fucking relax. Because if we have a grad transfer who beats a guy who looks pretty good, that's great news. But if the guy at quarterback can be the guy we saw against Southern Utah, well, then we're in a fine position. Because again, we're, we're likely going to be running 60-ish percent of the time anyway. He needs We need to have a good enough quarterback that uh, teams are not sitting heavily on the run. So I guess that's if I get glimpses of CJ looking like the guy who played against Southern Utah in the spring, I'm going to call that good enough about you. I am very similar in what I wanting to see. Uh, I want to see the offensive line gel enough to give the quarterback a little bit extra time. And I want to see one of these quarterbacks shred this defense. I do not want to see the defense play well in the spring game. I want them to get toasted. I watched enough Petrino spring games 
of offense one versus defense two and defense one versus offense two where the the moral of the story from Paul Petrino was our defense looked great out there. Well, yeah, you beat a bunch of the backups. Congrats. You looked great. You went and got pantsed in the season. I I, I it's tough for me to get excited about spring because it, it's you're you're practicing against yourself. You can learn some, but you're not going to learn a ton. What I want to see because we've all we've heard uh, there have been sometimes Eck even mentioned it uh, last week. The practice that that we recorded on four twelve a week ago, when they broke it out, the defense won seven to six in the thirteen plays that they they had graded. So very close, but outside of that, a lot of what we hear is that the the defense is winning everything. I do not want to see that. I am afraid that that means the offense is putrid because that's a lot of what I I saw with the Petrino days. So I really want to see a quarterback take the rein and put the stamp on this spring and say, this is my job, God damn it, and I'm taking it. I think if I had to, if I had to bet on it, CJ is going to be the guy who's going to, who's got the best shot to do that. I, From what we saw, again, in Southern Utah, the stats weren't incredible, but just the, the poise and command it felt like he had there was like, okay, I feel really good about Idaho this season. And then obviously Petrino got him hurt and completely ruined that and lost him a job. Anyways. That's what I want to see. I want to see a quarterback take this job and say, this is mine. I am not going to give this up. You can bring a grad transfer in in the, the summer. I'm going to beat that guy too. That's what I think we need to see. Yeah, and I want to just reiterate, this is from the comment section. Uh, Taryn Kowach, I guarantee I, I butchered that name, says, it's also important to keep in mind learning a new offense is harder than learning a new defense, new formations, motions, run pass, protection schemes, personnel, etc. And look, that's a comp- another version of – Hey dudes, be stoked about the defense, but like take a Xanax about the offense right now. One of the things we were told that Petrino did was he would have teams practice a ton of stuff. And we didn't talk about this much last, last year when we were live. Cause Hey, it was actually new for us to have sourcing, but we had a ton of people, players, parents, you could tell us, look, they practice one, a handful of things all week and then do God knows what, when the games roll around. X is going to be different. We've already been already been told, look, the playbook is much smaller than what Petrino had, meaning they don't have a bunch of stuff they're going to waste time on during the week and then not use during the season. It's just different, meaning everyone on the offensive side of the ball has some new stuff they're going through. So, uh, look, we're, man, we're on the same page there. And, I, you know, I probably should have tried to not be a moron and I should have focused on the offensive line because you're, you're, again, like the quarterback thing does matter. If this team has a strong offensive line, our quarterback's going to be okay. And the run heavy focus is the rushing focus heavier than last season. You know, like I said a thousand times, Eck rushed it 58% of the time at South Dakota State, passed it 42%. If we have ratio like that, if our offense, offensive line is sound, our quarterback's just going to need to be good enough to make some plays and keep the defense honest. And then just to put a button on it, Cap Dan again, jumping in, excuse me, Cap Dan 58. I, I, I want to make sure I get the whole the whole handle in there. What are we looking for in spring decision-making at QB execution can be cleared up. He spelled it wrong. He spelled it E X E C that's actually spelled E C X at the start. Just to correct that uh, execution be, can be cleared up, improved, but good decisions are harder to coach into a guy. That's a much smarter way of saying what I was saying in wanting a quarterback to take the job. I want somebody to show that they have the command of this offense and can make the right call and do the right thing. And, steal this job away from any grad transfer that might try to take it in the the early fall and summer. Uh, Brian, I have one last question for you about the spring game. And it it's really more of a, just the spring season as a whole or season, I guess. What, what constitutes success to you? Like what, what would be a successful spring ball for you? Is there anything that even is considered a successful spring ball or is just getting out of it a live success? Oh, no, this is different, man. We, we've got a new coach. Look, this is this is the, something that's hard to talk about because it's hard to point to like the individual instance or stat or whatever that makes this matter. X installing a new scheme. Yeah, sure. He's installing a new culture. It's This isn't just something fans are stoked about. Look, our, what we're told from practice is, no, the players are pumped. The, the players are viscerally excited in a way that was not happening last year. So just with that, it's a success. The the culture that you would hope Eck has been installing, which is excitement, being aggressive, letting his coaches coach, 
while you know still having his footprint where he needs to have it, Eck is letting his his positional coaches do their job and control what they need to control. That's the big takeaway for me. Is as far as this team, the team itself. So let's talk teams and fans. For the team itself, this is a it's a new captain. He needs to make it his ship, and he needs to get buy in. And all reports so far are that mission accomplished. So that's what I, I think ultimately people should care about that the new the new guy isn't same as the old guy it's different we can we've already explained a lot of the ways it's different there's reason to continue to be excited from the fan perspective this was our this is our first shot at seeing what um you know Eck as the head coach looks like and there's never a point where a new head coach is going to have a higher approval rating than before their first practice or before their first game has Zach done anything to tank his approval rating? No. If anything, he he gives us more reason to be stoked. So that's what I think are the bigger deals for spring and for Idaho. It's a resounding success so far. Next, if we can get good attendance in Boise, more excitement out of there, I'm good. No, I, I, I completely agree. And I actually kind of posed that as a trick question. I think that the spring has already been a success. I, it, it, to me, I have never cared about spring football because I have spent way too many time, way too much time in my life out in the freezing cold tundra of Pullman, Washington, shooting Mike Leach's spring practices to have him talk like this to me. Just, just, just the general malaise around even like big time Pac 12 spring football if their coaches didn't care, it, it, it was just, it was hard to get interested in it. And then watching Petrino for the last nine years, I could not care less about spring football. I thought, uh, and then every year it would get worse and worse. And now here we are and we're talking about it. And I'm actually not like wanting to claw my eyeballs out talking about it. And people are in the comment section, like actively engaged in conversation about spring practices. Like, you see the social media outreach that Vandal football has done since Eck has been hired. It's a complete 180 from what it was before. It's almost like they realize the internet is a cool, like interesting thing to use to get people excited about your program, especially after you just spent the last four years pissing on people. I don't think you could, you could say this is going any better than it possibly could. Yeah. I'd love to have an answer at the quarterback. I'd love, I'd love for Eck to come out and say, yeah, you know what? CJ's going to win awards this year. He's going to be the big sky MVP. Like he's going to, he's going to destroy this, this entire conference. I'd love to hear that. That is something that is not going to get taught or told in the spring. It just isn't, it's it just not, it's not going to happen. The games aren't for five more months. It's just, we can't get a whole lot of useful football knowledge out of this, but what we can see is that the culture has completely changed already. Brian has, Brian mentioned it. I'm going to just lay that on even thicker. We had people reaching out to us all over last year about how miserable the players were, about how terrible Petrino was to a large portion of kids. There are other kids that had great experiences with him. I do want to say that. We've had people reach out, and we've had people on the show and talk about how how much they thank him for what he did for them. There are plenty of other people that reached out to us privately and said, that is not the experience that we had. Screw this guy. Yeah, the ratio was not close on no. who was reaching out. No, not close at all. Since Eck has taken over, we haven't heard any of that. Everything we've heard is that players are excited. Players are engaged again. Players feel like they're respected and that they're wanted and that the coach cares about them. And that, to me, that's the win. That is, you see Rakitic 69 in the comment section. What brought him back to Vandal football after the drop down? I would like to believe it was us, uh, mostly Brian, probably a tiny bit of me just for the like, well, my life's better than that guy. That guy's a dick. Other than that little piece that we probably added to, to Rack's life, Eck is the guy. Like Eck has brought in a bunch of new interest to this program. And I think people are going to start slowly building back over the last four years. We've lost so many fans. I think they're going to start coming back and you can't, you can't be more excited, excited about how the spring season is gone. Just seeing how the, how the players are reacting, how social media is reacting. And that here we are talking about it in the middle of April. And there are, there are people in the comment section wanting to talk about Vandal spring football. 
what I, I'm going to put to close this, this part is look, pull the curtain back for viewers heading into this week, prepping for the show, Dallas and Martin both messages like, Hey, if we just need a 30 minute episode, let's just do a 30 minute episode. We're 40 minutes in. We haven't even hit the other piece of big news we have to talk about guys. So Jesus Christ. So yeah, dude, it, the spring's already, to me, the spring's already a win. Uh, now this is the point where I'm like half self-conscious that I'm not being harsh or something like that. But look, look the, the news is positive. We, we've got things to pay attention to. We've already talked about offensive line quarterback. Those things matter, but it's, a, yeah, again, you're right. To me, it's a win. I'm ready for us to pivot to the piece of news that we, that kind of came that's football related. Dallas, you want to intro that? Yes, I would love to intro that. Uh, so, uh, actually, dude, I'm gonna fuck this up. No, we have to we have to do our ad read real quick before we get to that question. Uh, because around the bar them bitches in. Us, yep, around the bar brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. If you're looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental US, located right here in the great state of Idaho. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the middle fork of the salmon, the main salmon river, no return, the salmon river canyons, or the Selway. You can even check out special trips like the one to see the Persed meteor shower. Camp on pristine beaches, run amazing whitewater, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, take in the history along the river and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the country. You just bring your clothes, let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expedition has been vandal owned and operated since 1976 and ready to take you on the vacation of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Back to you, Dallas. All right, back to the news. So uh, four vandals were recently named to the Hampshire Honor Society. Uh, congrats to Mike Beaudry, Tyrese Dedman, Trace Letexier, and Coyote Rufi. Uh, all of them graduated with a cumulative GPA of 3.2 or higher in their college careers. Uh, that ends up with 15 vandals that have been honored in the last 16 years, uh, most notably uh Tubs of the club and alumni Alex Boatman in 2019. Uh, so congrats to those four guys. Brian's looking at, at this with contempt because he knows this is not the news I was supposed to intro. I just wanted to throw him for a loop and see what, what happened if I went out of order. So congrats to those four guys. Uh, super cool that you know Idaho's putting smart people out there too. It's it's the if our football team isn't great, at least we're smarter than Boise State. That's what we've always got our, our hats to hang on to. Anyways, the actual news that I was supposed to intro. We have signed some future out-of-conference game contracts. Uh, we've actually filled out now our 2024 and 2025 uh, schedules, and we'll go into those in just a minute. But with Abilene Christian University, we are going there September 21st, 2024, and then they're coming to Moscow September 19th, 2026. Martin's even got the official contract up for anybody watching. Uh, anybody listening, you're just going to have to listen to my sultry tones tell you about this contract. And then we have University of St. Thomas. They're coming here September 6th, 2025. That's in Minnesota. Then we go, uh, they come back to us September 18th, 2027. Brian, I have buried the lead on why people should care so much about this. I think this is a fantastic development from where we've been the last four years. Do you want to tell the people why this is such a fantastic news? After I give the other, the final home and home scheduled is Idaho and North Dakota in 2027. We travel to North Dakota 2028. They come to Idaho. We're not going to talk about schedules that far in advance, guys. But hey, those are the three contracts. So why, look, hey, why does this matter? Uh, because look, it absolutely does. I'm going to use this year's out of conference schedule as a reference point. We play Washington at Washington State at Indiana and versus Drake, Drake's Pioneer Conference team, FCS. Drake is our first out-of-conference FCS game since Eastern in 2019, which just came out of nowhere because we both had openings. But in we had that Eastern game because that was one of those weird seasons where there's the extra week after Thanksgiving where teams can schedule 12 games instead of 11. But as far as we're concerned for an average FCS season, which is 11 games, this, this is our first time with uh, Drake as an FCS out of conference opponent, which means another win that can help us with playoff eligibility, which the lead you're getting to. This means going into the future, 
Idaho has at least one FCS game scheduled in each of the next four, well, more than four, heading into 2027 seasons. Uh, this year, like I said, we have Drake. Next year, we play at Nevada, at Calvin, at home versus Dixie State. That's the FCS game. The year after that, at Oregon, at Wyoming, then at Abilene Christian. That's a road FCS game. Then versus Dixie State. That's another FCS game. So that's two in 2024 that count for playoff eligibility. 2025, it's at WSU, at St. Thomas. That's in the, St. Thomas is another pioneer conference school where they don't give out scholarships, but uh, they are they look like they could be pretty good for Pioneer Conference. They got kicked out of Division Three for beating the shit out of everyone. Uh, to close 2025, it's at San Jose State, then at home versus Dixie. The whole point being, previously, Idaho had had that third OOC game. We kept having to play like Simon Frazier, which, uh, you know, shout out to former Simon Frazier head coach Thomas Ford, current special teams coordinator for Idaho. But we were playing Simon Frazier. We were playing – Western New Mexico state. We were playing central Washington. That game doesn't count for playoff eligibility. So for Idaho over, since we've joined the big sky, we've essentially had to win the conference to have any shot at the playoffs. Now we, this buys us one potential game heading into the future. We still have to do damn well in the conference, but it is schedule wise for sure. A step in the right direction that Idaho now has an extra game that will count toward playoff eligibility. And that, look, that's just that's a universal positive. It's been tough knowing that we play those D2 games and we get the extra home game, but it's a waste of time in terms of playoff eligibility. Um, having an extra FCS game on the schedule is only good. And in the few weeks where we have 12-game seasons, we have two extra FCS games. Exactly. I mean, that's the the big thing here for everybody is we no longer have that useless Simon Frazier game. Yeah, it's cool to see our rivals from up north and it's it's awesome to get guys some reps in a game that is going to be their one shot brian it was also it was also weird to watch that simon frazier had that female kicker that the entire team shunned that was weird i i thought canada was more accepting than than that but not worth the thrown away week but hey you know we're, we're grasping at straws i found one there you go. Yeah. Uh, oh, see, Rack of Tits is already in here. Brian, choose your words carefully. I love our rivalry with Simon Fraser. So we've got to tread lightly here. But what this means is no more bullshit, pointless games like that. Every single game we have is going to matter now. So you look at the schedule for this year, starting off with Wazoo, going to Indiana, then Drake at home, and then you jump right into conference, NAU, NOCO, Montana, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, you're going to have to win most of the conference games to be able to to make the playoffs. Uh, but you move forward to 2023 and 2024 and 2025, and you have enough out-of-conference FCS-caliber games, you don't have to win as many Big Sky games to have a shot at the playoffs, which, yeah, you obviously you want to win more conference games. But we're giving ourselves the ability to make the playoffs now rather than, okay, you schedule three games that don't matter to to the playoffs so there was no way we were going to beat indiana this year or oregon state as much as i hate to say it you're not not going to win either of those two games simon frazier does nothing for you so you have to go and win seven games in the big sky if you want to make the playoffs or if you want to have a, even a shot at the playoffs you don't have to do that now you can win those two out of conference games you get five wins in the big sky you're up to seven seven wins and you've got a shot to make the playoffs and that's that's the this feels like the not only hiring a guy who was an FCS coordinator, but committing to more FCS games on the schedule feels like Idaho finally realizing, oh, all right, you know, there's a, a large divide here in the fan base. A lot of people don't want to be FCS. This is where we are. Let's do whatever the hell we can to try to succeed here and bring people back to being interested in Vandal football again. That's what this feels like to me. Obviously, these, a lot of these contracts have been in the works for a very long time, and this isn't just like a... The, the switch was flipped in the last six months, but it this is what it feels like to me, Brian, that Idaho is, is making the commitment to we need to become the bullies here. We need to be what Montana is every single year. No longer talking about, well, are we going to fire our coach this year? Are we going to fire our coach this year? We need to be talking about consistent playoffs every single year with, with shots at national championships. Yeah, exactly. Just like our men's basketball team. So yeah, exactly. There's two, there's two points we got to yeah, we have to bring up with this. Uh, just just because I've absolutely seen comments and uh, you know people are just questioning, hey, how the uh, this is a question about how schedules work. 
Is this 100% perfect news? Uh, no. The downside to some of these FCS out-of-conference games is part of why schools like Idaho would schedule the D2 game against Simon Frazier Central Washington is because it gives you a fifth home game for season tickets and a fifth home game for if you're a business that relies on people showing up to games and buying drinks, buying food, staying in a hotel, whatever. It's an extra weekend to contribute to the community. Well, there's a few years that we lose that. So, you know, 2024, we're at Abilene Christian. That means our first home game isn't until October and we only have conference home games. So look, that does kind of suck. And that repeats itself in 2025, I believe with, yeah, 2025 with, uh, St. Thomas. Wait, no, actually St. Thomas, we have Dixie State, so we have that extra one. But 2024 versus Abilene Christian. Ooh, the, the way that wait, that a minute, wait a minute, hold up, hold up. Fact check. Because we played Dixie State 2023 and 2024, we don't only have four, four home games. Thank God we brought that up. Now, you do lose a potential home game that you could have had. So I guess that's what I'd say is the theoretical downside is uh, you would have hoped to maybe get an extra home game and it doesn't quite work out that way. This is just a reality check until the VSF is fully funded and we're selling tickets better. Idaho is just not going to be in position to be a Montana state where they schedule multiple out-of-conference home games because you got to pay the opponent to come there too. We're just not there yet. So fact check, incorrect about the four home games, but heading into the future, if fans are sometimes curious why there isn't always the extra FCS at a conference game is because no FCS team wants to not have that extra home game, but lots of FCS teams are scheduling those by games. No, exactly. I, I honestly, I have nothing further to add to that, Brian. That was a better, not a write-up because you said it out loud, but it was a better write-up than I could have, I could have put together. There is one other point to address too, which is just, again, it's getting people up to speed the out-of-conference opponent, because there's going to be some people who look at these games. They see Drake this year. They see Dixie State next year. They see Abilene Christian and Dixie State in 2024. They see St. Thomas the following year in Dixie State, and they're saying, look, okay, like we're getting the FCS games, but why aren't we scheduling Missouri Valley Conference teams? Why aren't we scheduling um, CAA teams? My answer to that is, Hey, dudes, this is how good FCS teams schedule. And you might not buy it, but hey, I'm going to talk to you about Montana State last year. National runner-up, Montana State. Their out-of-conference schedule was a bye game at Wyoming, then hosting Drake, who we played this year, Pioneer Conference Drake, then hosting San Diego, Pioneer Conference, non-scholarship San Diego. That's their out-of-conference schedule, is they get paid for one game, and then they they bought a couple wins because those – those pioneer conference teams are not even necessarily better than good D2 D2 teams. So the, the takeaway is it's a huge risk for a school like Idaho that can only schedule an out of conference game. That's FCS and matters for playoff. Anyway, it's important to try to schedule a win. So even that game into the future, you know, like 2027, I think we said with North Dakota, that that will be a fun out of conference game in half a decade. But that's from this far away, that's a gamble. Cause if you lose that one out of conference game, well, you got to go seven and one in conference if you're going to have the shot in the playoffs. So, my verdict on the schedule strength, we did, we should. St. Thomas, maybe they'll be different uh, because they have a weirder background as far as being kicked out of D3 for being good. But I'm all about it. Schedule the wins, get some momentum. Hell, that's what Bobby Houck's done at Montana forever. Get some momentum in the out of conference and try to ride that momentum to your big wins. Exactly. And and I I want to I want to double down on that point you made Brian about you've got to go 7 and 1 in conference because if you look at Montana State's schedule last year, they lost to Wyoming, they won out and then they lost to the Grizz in the final week of the season in the Brawl of the Wild. If you take out Drake and San Diego and put in Simon Fraser and Indiana, Say they lose to Indiana, they beat Simon Fraser. That win doesn't matter. They legitimately went seven and one in conference, and that would have gotten them in. I, it's it's so hard to expect Idaho to be able to do something like that, especially after 
the two years of daddy ball and the two years of, Oh God damn it. We got to fire this guy. Like it, it's just the reality of how this works. It sucks. I wish Idaho could go schedule bigger and, and brighter names and develop the profile, but it's just, it's not going to happen. If you want to succeed at this level without becoming North Dakota state, this is how you have to do it. And this, this feels again, the, the point I made earlier, this feels like Idaho is finally committing to saying, all right, we're in the FCS. Let's, let's go out there and win. Let's go out there and make this a program. Don't even look at the teams like Montana that have had Missouri Valley Conference games, Missouri Valley football conference games last couple of years. Eastern did too. Well, they're playing Western Illinois. They're playing Montana played South Dakota when South Dakota was looking not like they might be 500-ish. But that's what a lot of these teams do is they're, they're not trying to schedule South Dakota State so they can lose their one FCS out of conference game. Montana gets more than one, but you guys get the point. Uh, would I like us to be in a position where we can at least gamble with one of those games? Oh, for sure. But look at this point. It's a, it's a positive development that we're even scheduling a game that matters for the playoffs. So, again, is it 100% good news? Well, no, of course it's not perfect. There's some things that could be better. But broadly speaking, this is a step in the right direction for us schedule-wise. This is something that Idaho fans can look forward into the next seasons to be a little more stoked about. In particular, in look, I'm not trying to get into 2024, but we get 2024, we're going to have two FCS out of conference games. Man, that's cool. Uh, but as far as the next next couple seasons, getting that win really matters because you guys know, look, you can't be good in the big sky and finish. You can't be anything but good in the big sky and finish six and two. We're still going to need to finish six and two in the big sky with an FCS win to be in the playoffs. But six and two at least gives you breathing room. Seven and one means you essentially have to win the conference. Some teams can make it to the playoffs with six wins, meaning we win the out of conference game and could go like five and three in big sky play. You cannot expect that's what's going to happen. Now the big, the, and sorry, this is the last point to circle back on why the scheduling is the right call. Big sky teams don't have to worry about strength of schedule. If you're good, because you get the strength of schedule in conference play, that's going to protect you for seeding. For out of conference, just get teams like Idaho, especially that can only schedule one of them, get the goddamn win and just get into the season. Couldn't agree more. I, I, I at this point, I don't give a shit how they get there. If they can get to the playoffs, I mean, if they can get to the playoffs this year, I'd be ecstatic. But I don't care if if you do have to beat up on Drake and San Diego. Don't care. Do not care. Playoffs or playoffs at this point. Like, give me something to feel like there is success here because I, I not to start the FCS FBS thing again, but I was pretty open about thinking, look, Idaho has no home in the FBS. We could try to ride this out for five years and hope that we'd get like the conference USA invite that I, I don't even know if we would have truly gotten or drop down a level, find stability and try to turn the program around from being three winning seasons in 20 years. Like I, that I was just done with that. That was that that sucked. That really sucked. Being down here, I don't give a shit if we beat up on Drake and San Diego. If we can make the playoffs and say, oh hey, we won more games than we lost. We've said that three times in 20 years. Now it's four in 25 or whatever that number number ends up being at the end of the day. If we can start building on things, that's that's what that's what matters to me. Doesn't matter who we beat up or who we cupcake through to get there. Yeah, no. Hundred percent. That is, you know, dudes. That's around the bar. Brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. Martin, we're about to call it a night. We're a little bit longer than the thirty minutes you were hoping for this week, but you've been on the shelf for fifty-nine minutes and fifty-two seconds and change or so. Martin, anything you want to throw in before we call it a day? I've got nothing else to add. Uh, it's just kind of throw something random in just support your local VSF chapters. That's all I can really say. I mean, I'm excited. This go on support everybody support this university and the team. You heard it from the man himself support the VSF, uh, which yeah, dude, you want to, you guys want to schedule more FCS games that matter. Give them some money. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good to call tonight uh, next week, guys. Sorry. I should probably, be a host and not suck at this next week 
Dan Satter, Associate Commissioner of the Big Sky Conference, is going to be on here to talk Idaho men's basketball. I'm kidding. No, he's he's going to come on. He's going to explain uh, the changes in the men's conference tournament. He's also going to explain some of the mechanisms in the Big Sky relating to football. One of the big ones that I've talked to fans about, but the shit that people want to know about is how the hell does the protective rival did the protected rivalries things change for Idaho? You're going to talk us through that process and all things Big Sky. We're going to have a final spring football update before we have our uh, true final spring episode after the spring game, which will launch us into our break. But if you guys got questions for Dan Satter, uh, send them to us on Twitter or join the hashtag OnlyTubs Discord at patreon.com backslash tubs at the club, and you can be part of our weekly discussion on well hey uh captain 58 just said hey sex dungeon hashtag only tubs that's like our favorite thread in the discord is talking about everyone's sex dungeons and sharing pictures of uh exactly what aesthetic we all went for but no seriously we talk about football stuff all throughout the week we try to we try to give a little bit uh inside info to people in the discord when we can and make it work it's a lot of fun uh give us a couple bucks other than that i am ready to call it a night dallas Last, any parting words before Martin plays us out with God knows what? I I am just looking forward to getting through this entire episode without having to say, Brian, you're muted. I think we finally did it. I, I God damn it. I was paying so much attention to, to make sure, like, okay, Dallas is going to yell about this again. I'm going to be Grandpa Brian, even though this is a completely average thing that other people do. But whatever, we all become the stereotype we need to. Uh Go Vandals. Go Vandals. So raise your glass and have a drink with me. Here's to the Vandals and the craft. Oh.